Amen and amen. I know you just got uh, settled comfortably in your seat, but can we just stand and honor those who gave the greatest of sacrifices for the rest of us and respect. So, uh, thank you so much. You may be seated. I'm looking out across. A lot of you have served faithfully in our military. One of the great privileges of being the senior pastor here the last 16 years is getting to meet a robust military families that attend New Life Church. And I just want to say thank you for the way you serve, uh, the way you honorably serve, the way you sacrifice. And I say that to not only the men and women who are serving, but to their families. Because I've watched uh, firsthand the sacrifices of the spouses and the children and grandchildren. So can we just say one more time, thank you for the way you've served, the way you serve our country. I mean that. Over these last year or so, I've, I've uh, presided over more than I care to, you know, more than we should. I've, I've presided over a lot of the funeral services. I know there are people sitting in the crowd today that have lost loved ones, and we say we honor you, we love you. You have our respect, you have our support, you have our prayers. You have anything that you need, all you gotta do is ask, because we're here to be a blessing back to you, and we thank you for the way you have sacrificially served our country, amen? Amen, happy Memorial Day. We can say that, you can, you can say happy Memorial Day weekend because it's, it's, it's a privilege to live in our country, right? It's a privilege that we get to celebrate our freedoms together. And uh, today I'm gonna share a message that I think is appropriate for this day and for this weekend. In fact, I had another message altogether planned earlier this week and the Holy Spirit interrupted my plans. And so I will be back next Sunday to pick back up in the series in 1 John. I'll be in 1 John chapter three, next Sunday, but today I'm gonna take you to the book of John, the gospel. Turn there with me to John chapter 11. I wanna speak to you today on good grief. What does the Bible say about grief? Actually, it says more than than you can imagine. And I think in in my opinion, the church has not tackled this topic well enough and has caused great harm in the church because we've not taught people and equipped people how to properly walk through seasons of grief. And John chapter 11, this is a story of of, of a funeral. Jesus has heard word that one of his friends has died unexpectedly. It's It's Lazarus. And apparently Lazarus was very close with Jesus, had a friendship with Jesus, had a, a really close friendship. And when Jesus heard about the death of Lazarus, the Bible says that he waited two days before he started traveling toward the family. And so when we pick up here in verse 32, Jesus is now meeting the family for the first time after the death of Lazarus. It's Mary and Martha and that group of people. And it says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. So look, I want you to pay attention to the range of human emotions in this story. She fell at his feet and she really chastises Jesus. She's angry, she's upset. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Which let me just pause here just for a moment. It's very common in seasons of grief to lash out, to be angry. And then listen, it is okay. It does not offend Jesus here that this woman, Mary, is angry and agitated. Jesus does not correct her and it does not upset Jesus for us to be angry. When when you lose a loved one, that's actually one of the stages of grief is you become angry, you're upset, you start blaming. And she says, 
when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, in other words, a large group of people crying. Listen to this, I love this about Jesus. He was deeply moved in spirit and he was also troubled. And this is the first time, one of the few times in the scriptures where we see Jesus taking on our sorrows. So their sorrows come to him. He is empathetic with their sorrows. They are sad, so Jesus is sad. I want you to know this about your savior. I want you to know this about the God that you serve. Your emotions are not upsetting to God. In fact, when you are sad, he takes on your sadness. He takes on your sorrow. He enters into the place of sorrow with us. That's a beautiful picture of God. Maybe you think that God's not really that upset when you're upset, he is. And this is the proof of that. He says, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Look at verse 35. And Jesus wept. Let's pause here and pray together. Let's Father in heaven, these are the holy scriptures you have given us. And these scriptures are anointed by the Holy Spirit. They're full of life today. And even as we're talking about grief, I pray today that we would stumble into life. I pray even when we're talking about loss today, I pray we would see the gain of grieving properly. I pray your spirit would be powerfully present in this room today. I pray your spirit would be powerfully present to those watching online. And I pray today that we would find healing as we talk through these scriptures. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. So we're talking today about grief and I wanna define grief in a, in a different way for you. Grief certainly comes to us when we lose loved ones. I remember in December of 2005, my dad had been battling colon cancer for about three years and finally in late December, December the 30th, 2005, about two o'clock in the morning, he breathed his last breath. I was at his bedside late into the night. My dad is uh, someone that, uh, I mean, obviously very close to me. I look exactly like my dad. If my dad were standing here today, if he were 56 years old standing here today, I'm thinner than he was, but he, I look exact, I have more hair than he had, which I'm grateful for my mother's side for that blessing. So my dad was, more, was balder than I am and a little, had a little dad bod, but I look exactly like him. I'm the spitting image of my father. When I go back home, all my relatives say, you look just like Leland, you look just like your dad. And I grew up very close to him. I mean, we're just super close. I, hundreds, and I'm not exaggerating this, hundreds of hunting trips with my dad, fishing trips, camping trips. He was at every ball game. He was at every practice. He, was, uh, he told me a thousand times that he loved me, that he was proud of me, that I'm smart. I mean, I, I, had, a, I had a gigantic blessing to have him as my father. He did not become a believer until after I was in college, but he was a good man. He worked hard. He sold used cars at a Ford dealership in Arcadia, Louisiana for 20 years and paid my way through high school. And we never lacked for anything because my dad worked really hard. He was an honest car salesman. One of the few, he was there, I'm telling you, they're out there. And he was an honest car salesman, loved Jesus uh, later in his life, played the guitar in my little country worship band. Uh, he had a little electric guitar. And as he got older, he would be up on stage and there'd be a lady on the piano playing uh, hymnals, I'll Fly Away and those kinds of songs, you know, the, the old hymnals. My dad would be up there with his little electric guitar, keeping, keeping pace. A lot of great memories. But it's not just the loss of loved ones that I'm talking about today. 
We should also learn to grieve the loss of any significant thing in our life. The loss of your health, maybe the loss of a marriage, the loss of a friendship. Uh, we, we've all suffered through that the last four or five years. I was, Pam and I were reflecting not long ago that I think I've lost three or four really close friends in the last four or five years. And when I mean close friends, I'm talking about friends that were my friends 20, 30 years. They canceled me. They, ripped me, they wrote me off. They're not in my life anymore. And that's sad to me. And I had to take some time in these last three or four years to stop and to grieve the loss of close friendships. So we're not just talking about death, we're talking about the loss of anything. Christians must learn how to grieve well, good grief. And the Bible is full of grief and grieving people. If you read the Psalms, there are 150 Psalms, about 100 of those are laments, which means it's a grieving complaint against God. If you read those, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which leads us to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. Now, it's interesting that Psalm 22 precedes Psalm 23, not to be Captain Obvious, but Psalm 22 in my Bible comes right before Psalm 23. And here's the reason why, listen to this. The Hebrew writers knew that the path of praise often went through the valley of mourning. Now keep it up for a moment, listen very carefully. Some of you are not able to worship properly and robustly and powerfully because there's this hidden pain of grief that you've not addressed in your life. You'll never be a full throttled, open-hearted worshiper of a good God until you deal with the pain of loss that you've had in your life. So as your pastor today, I'm trying to help you navigate. It's not if you grieve, it's when you grieve. All of us, one of, the, one of the truths about living life is there will be loss. There will be loss throughout your day. There will be, there'll be mountaintops and there'll be valleys. But that is, that's a promise of living life. So I wanna ask a question today. What happens when we grieve and we mourn properly? What, what's the result of that? So I'm gonna give you two things to consider today, okay? Number one, our pain is confronted. Going back to that night in December of 2005 when my dad breathed his last, I'm the oldest son, I have an older sister, I have a younger brother, I'm the middle child, but who, who really cares? You know, that's been the story of my life. But uh, <laughs> all the middle child, will you raise your hand in here? Let's grieve the loss of that. All right, thank you. I feel, I feel, I feel you, I'm your people, you're my people. But I'm the middle child, but I'm the oldest son. So when my, my, my mom is suddenly at two o'clock in the morning became a widow and I sprang into action. I called the sheriff's department. I called the coroner, I called the funeral home. I started making arrangements, started calling family and friends to let them know that my dad had passed. I started planning a funeral service. Well, with all that responsibility kind of fell on me and I took it upon myself, quite honestly, I did not properly grieve my dad. And it was really three weeks after my dad's death before I really shed any significant tears. And this is a man I adored. I'd, I had no dad issues. I loved my dad. I was close with my dad. I, I admired my dad. I respected him. And at his death, because of all the responsibilities, I did not stop and grieve. And it was really three weeks later, I was on an elder's retreat. We went, uh, I was an elder of the church there in Texas. And we took like a two day retreat, went out into the woods 
That's what Texas people do. They just go out in the woods. And so we were out in the middle of nowhere and we had a, a whole day set aside for each of us to go do like a private retreat. Like, so I took two bottles of water and a bottle of Gatorade and I went out in the middle of the woods and I built a fire and I'm standing by the fire and I'm supposed to be having a meeting with God. I'm supposed to be praying. And I realize I've never confronted the pain. I've never dealt with it. I've never hadn't mourned properly at that point. And all of a sudden, all of the emotions of the loss of my dad come flooding over me. And I finally, first of all, I allowed myself to sob and weep and cry over the loss of my father. But it took me weeks, weeks before I was willing to confront that pain. Proverbs 14 says, even in laughter, the heart may ache and joy may end in grief. But grief, so grief is something that you have to enter into voluntarily. Listen, you, all the, all the dudes in the room, all you tough guys, all you quiet, tough guys, listen, it's not serving you well right now. Talk about it, confront it. I, I don't like sharing my feelings either. I don't like getting around a bunch of people. I just shared my feelings with a thousand people in the room though. And I, 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 it's medicinal for me. It's medicinal for you. There is no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. You have to talk about it. And grief is something we have to enter into voluntarily. There is pain from avoiding the pain. Listen to Ecclesiastes seven. Sorrow is better than laughter sometimes because a sad face is good for the heart. It's confronting something in the heart. And the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. What's the Bible saying here? The Bible is saying, listen, don't ignore it. Confront it, talk about it. Don't, if you push that pain to the side, it will resurface in other ways. It will come to the surface and it will surprise you where that pain will come back to you. You'll snap at somebody, that anger will come back. And what happens was well, unconfronted pain. The pain was never dealt with properly, so it comes out of you improperly. If it do, it's not dealt with in a healthy way, it comes out of you in an unhealthy way. And so the Bible is inviting us into this story. The Bible is inviting us in. So the first thing that happens when you grieve properly is you confront the pain. And then the second thing that happens is we become available again. So many people, when they go through crises, when they go through pain, when they go through trauma, it shuts them down. That's one of the, one of the things we're now discovering from military veterans who are coming back from areas of combat, right? PTSD, one of the evils of PTSD is it, it causes you to shut down. It causes you to, uh, to really withdraw from the very people who love you the most the people who are trying to help you the most. And I just wanna encourage our military veterans, there is no shame, there is no scandal in telling people that you're hurting. Because we need you, we want you to be available again. We want you to enter into a place of healing. And that happens when you confront the pain and that's when you become available again to the people around you that love you and adore you. Let me show you how, how the Holy Spirit does its work. Isaiah 61 is the story and an example of the Holy Spirit entering into a broken place and bringing a new life. So stay with me, I'm gonna read a lot of the scripture here, okay? But you need to hear, listen to this scripture. Listen to this scripture as I read it over you. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Now leave that up just for a moment. That is describing a person who is fully available, would you agree? If the spirit of the Lord is on you and you're helping the poor and you're preaching good news to the poor and you're helping people, you're engaged in the life of the spirit, right? All right, look, keep reading. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, 
to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Again, describing a person who's fully engaged in the life of God. Keep going, verse three. To, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. And verse three, and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That's the work of the spirit in your life calling you out of that place of brokenness. Only the Holy Spirit can heal us. Only the Holy Spirit can restore us. It says they'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Now, the interesting thing about this word picture here, you're talking about a big tree, oaks. I don't know if you've ever cut a tree and, and, and looked at the rings of a tree. But the rings of a tree tell the story of the life of that tree. There'll be, there'll be one year where a, a fire swept through the forest and you can see a particular ring in the tree where that fire did damage, but the tree kept living. You can find the rings where there was times of drought, not enough water got into that tree. And if you know how to read the rings of the tree, you can see where drought devastated the tree, but the tree kept on living. So when Isaiah says, you are the oak of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor, it means that no matter what comes at you, fires and floods and pestilence and evil, whatever attacks your soul, when you confront the pain, when you invite the Holy Spirit into your life, you will be called an oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. There is not one thing that the enemy will throw your way that the Holy Spirit will not walk you through. Somebody say amen if you lived that life before. So how do we do this? I want you to turn with me right now to Psalm 137. I'm gonna read one verse from Psalm 137. And this Psalm was written at a particular time in the history of Israel. Israel had been decimated by an evil Babylonian army. And when I mean decimated, I'm talking about the most heinous, evil takeover of a country that you can imagine. The Babylonians were torture experts. They were ter a terrorist army. And they had invaded the nation of Israel and taken everyone in the nation captive. I want you to think about an evil army surrounding Colorado and coming into every community in our state. All of us have lost our homes. All of us lose our property. Many of us are killed. Okay, this is the reality of what I'm about to read to you, okay? Israel now has been captured. They are prisoners of war and they're being humiliated and marched to Babylon. So they're leaving their home nation. And for the next 70 years, they will live in exile. Now they didn't know this at the time, but their lives are never gonna be the same again. So this is the context this is the backdrop of this song. They're on their way as captives to Babylon. So I'm gonna read one scripture to you. And in this scripture, it gives us a roadmap, a blueprint. It shows us how to grieve properly. All right, verse one, it's the only verse we're gonna read. By the rivers of Babylon, 
We sat and wept when we remembered Zion. By the rivers of Babylon. So where, they're not in Israel. They're on their way. They're, they're at the borderlands. They're at the, they're at the place of entrance. They're near Babylon. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Zion represents to them Israel, the place of worship, their holy place of worship, which had been decimated. All right, so here's three things in this passage of scripture that point us toward healthy biblical grieving. Number one, admit that there's a new reality. It says by the rivers of Babylon, they were not in Kansas anymore. They had been taken and swept up. They had been taken to another nation. They had lost their hometown. They had lost their homes, their jobs, their crops, their plants, their their cattle, their livestock, everything's gone. And they're being taken to Babylon by the rivers of Babylon. I uh, I told you this story about my dad for a reason because in the last 18 years since his death, something, you know, a celebration would happen in our home. Something magical, something good, a blessing would come to our home. And, you know, like any other kid, I like calling my mom and dad and tell them good news. It's like, hey, you can't believe what happened today. Or Abram did something great, or Callie did something great, or Pam did something great, or something great happened at the church. I normally will call my mom, but so many times in the last 18 years, I've found myself reaching for the phone, like just instinctively wanting to call my dad. And then suddenly it'll snap to me, dad's not here, dad's gone, and he's not coming back. I will not see my dad again until the other side of the resurrection. I will spend eternity with him because he was, he was a devoted follower of Jesus at the end of his life. There's no doubt in my mind I'm gonna spend all of eternity with him. But in the meantime, it's, it's different. My dad was a guy that I could call every day if I wanted to. When I was a young married couple with Pam, when Pam and I were just getting married, I'd call my dad three or four times a week. Hey dad, how's it going? And really had nothing to say to him, he just checking on him. That's the kind of relationship I had with him. But now that he's gone, there's a huge gap in my life. Like there's one less person to celebrate with, an important person to celebrate with. He's gone. And you have to say to yourself, it's never going to be the same again. We're not going back to pre-2020. 2020 was a game changer in our culture. In our, it changed so many things around us and it's not going to be the same again. It's okay to say that. Admit that there's a new reality. You can't long for things to go back the way they were because they're not. And so the first step in really grieving properly is to say to yourself, this is a new reality, a new truth. It's okay though, by the rivers of Babylon. And then it's the second thing you have to do is you have to take time to mourn. I want you to notice the next phrase in, 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 the, in this Psalm. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept. Now that's really important for you to catch this. You cannot heal on the run. Here's what I hear from, and I'm, as a pastor, I'm around grieving people all the time. I mean, it's one of the joys and the privileges of being a pastor is being able to walk alongside people who have lost people. I do that. I mean, I do it all the time. And I hear this often and I, and I don't correct them because it's not the appropriate time. So I'm going to just say this to all of you. I hear people say all the time, I need to get back into my job. I just need to get back and keep myself busy. The best thing I can do for myself is to get back and just get back into the chaos of life. And I, what I want to say in that moment is like, no, 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 no. Slow down. You have permission in this moment to clear your calendar 
You have permission. In fact, you should clear your calendar for a while. You need to slow down. Notice that they sat and wept. There's a different pace that you need to walk with during your time of grieving. Slow your pace down, clear your calendar. Don't say yes to so many responsibilities. Make sure you take the time to weep and cry. It was that day long retreat out in the woods where I learned this. I had an entire day by myself, alone, no cell phone, with a fire out in the middle of the Southwest Arkansas woods. And I sat there and I wept. It was the first time I didn't feel any responsibility. It was the first time I didn't have anything else to do. And that was the moment the Holy Spirit came to me and helped me with my grieving, sitting down, slowing down and weeping. And here's the last thing, by the rivers of Babylon, a new reality. We sat and wept, take the time to grieve. And it says, we remembered Zion, remember the past. Tell the beautiful stories of the thing you lost. If you lost a business during COVID, tell people the story of how great your business was. If you lost a loved one recently, tell people stories about your loved ones. Remember Zion. Remember them by telling stories. So I want to tell you a story about my dad, and this will be helpful for me. And this is an example of what I want you to do. When I was eight years old, uh, we lived in Northwest Louisiana, and we lived out in the middle of nowhere. The end of the earth was about a half mile from my home. I mean, it was out in the middle of nowhere. And once a year, first week of October, the Louisiana State Fair came to Shreveport, Louisiana, which was about 30 minutes from my hometown. And so it was every year we knew that first weekend in October on Saturday, we were gonna get in the car and my mom and dad were gonna take us to the Louisiana State Fair. And so this year, I was, I was probably seven or eight years old and everything we did back then was dangerous. We drank out of the fire hose, we slept in, we slept in uh, you know, places that had lead paint. Uh, we did not wear seat belts, our helmets. I mean, we, everything we did was dangerous. And, and I remember that th my mom and dad's car had that bench seat in the second row and the seat belts were never used. And we were sleeping on, on the floor, we were sleeping on. So my dad parked the car, leans over, I can remember he putting his arm back there. And that's usually about how he swatted us, you know, like that, he would drive and swat. So he leaned back to us and said, there's gonna be a lot of people here. You stay close to your mom and I, you hear me? I can hear his voice, you stay close to us. Now, before I tell you the rest of the story, there's a, there's a physical thing about my dad you need to know. When he was a little boy, something hit him like a rock or something and, and, a, and a small part of his front tooth was chipped and he never got it fixed. But he learned to use that to create this very distinct whistle. So growing up, we had bird dogs, we had deer dogs, we had hunting dogs. So my dad trained about a dozen hunting dogs and three children on that whistle. When he whistled, we stopped. I mean, honestly, this is the way it was. When my dad whistled, we stopped whatever we were doing and we looked his way. That's how he trained us. And I, so we get out of the car and I am the problem child all my life. And I take off on a beeline down the middle of the fairway, midway, with all the lights, all the smells, all the chaotic activities happening, I am overwhelmed, sensory overload. Eight years old, eyes bright, and I'm walking down the middle of the aisle, and I turn around and realize I am separated from my family. The very thing my dad, the last thing my dad had said to me before we got out of the car, do not 
go away from me. Make sure you stay close to your mom. And I, I had violated it within 20 minutes. I'm lost and I'm terrified. In fact, you know, there are times in your life where you're so afraid you never forget it. Like I'm 56, that was 40 years ago, 45 years ago. I can still remember that moment. I was so terrified and afraid. And it must've been one or two minutes of me just panic, panicking, looking for my parents, couldn't find any familiar faces in the crowd, terrified. And then right in the middle of that, I hear this whistle. My dad's shrill, distinctive whistle. And he was about 50 feet away from me, watching me the entire time. And he said, son, I hope you never forget this. When I tell you to stay close to me, stay close to me. But know this, Brady, I will never take my eyes off you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I became a man and I found myself in places where I was afraid, that moment seared something into my soul. It reminded me that God himself never takes his eyes off of me. Amen. That I'm in the palm of his hand and no power of hell and no scheme of man can take me from the palm of his hand. Where did I learn that? I learned that in the midway on a Saturday night in October at the Louisiana State Fair because of my dad's whistle. New Life Church, listen, you're gonna find yourself grieving. You're gonna find yourself walking through seasons of loss. That's inevitable. I wish I could just lay hands on all of you and spare you from these seasons of your life, but it's not possible. That's the bad news. The good news is you'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death and you'll get to the other side because the valley of the shadow of death is not your permanent home. I know when I lost my dad, I felt like I would never get over it. I would never stop being sad. I would always feel dark. And here I am 18 years later, I look back and I realize that the Lord was with me. He was for me, he was in front of me, he was behind me. He was above me and below me the whole time. And I just wanna encourage you today, some of you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, just keep walking, keep walking, keep moving forward, keep lifting your hands, keep inviting the Holy Spirit into your life. And I can promise you there will be a day when you walk out to the other side and you will not lose the memory of your loved one. You'll tell the good stories. You'll be able to celebrate their life, but you'll get to the other side. Would you stand with me this morning? Let me pray over you, pray with you and for you. I want you to pray if you're not walking through this, that's great, I'm glad, grateful for that. Can you pray for your brothers and sisters around you though? Okay, this is what church does. We come together for a reason. We come together to share our victories, to carry our burdens together. And I just wanna pray for you. I look around the room, I, I, I know a lot of your stories. And I know some of you have experienced tremendous grief. Those of you who serve at the Lord's table, come on down and be ready. In just a moment, we're gonna, I just think there's no better way to end this service after this message than to come to the table of the Lord. And that's about, that's what we're about to do. In just a moment, you're gonna be, the ushers will give you instructions. You'll come down and take the cup. You'll go back to your seat. We're gonna sing a song together. We're gonna to worship together. And then Pastor Daniel is gonna come and lead us to the table of the Lord. Before that, though, let's just lift our hands. Would you just invite the Holy Spirit into your grief? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And one of the attributes, one of the traits of the Holy Spirit is he's the comforter. And that's why it's important in these times you invite the comforter. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Comforted by who? The Holy Spirit. 
Holy Spirit, we welcome you. On this Sunday, the day of Pentecost, we celebrate the arrival of the Holy Spirit into the life of the church. We invite you now to come fresh and new, strong and present in our lives. Holy Spirit, come and do your work. Do holy work in hidden places today. Lord, I pray you would be our strength. You would be the source of strength that we lean into right now. Father, I bless this congregation. I bless every man and woman and child sitting in this room. And all those watching online, I pray today that they would know that you are near them, that your eyes are locked on them, that you are for them and not against them, that you love them and are not angry with them, that you wanna bless them and not curse them. I pray they would feel your strength and feel your embrace. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, just continue to worship. Come out and take the cup, go back to your seat, but let's worship together and pray together before we come to the table.